0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast, the Getting to Know You, Getting to Know All About You edition, as the Bengals get ready for their first head-to-head meeting with Joe Burrow and the other top prospects in this year's draft at the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Coming up, I'll discuss that and much more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Our topics include Joe Burrow's most recent comments about possibly being the number one pick in this year's draft. I'll ask Lapp if he would vote yes or no on the new collective bargaining agreement proposal that the owners have approved. And best of all, Lapp will answer the questions you submitted on Twitter and Facebook under the hashtag AskLapp. That's straight ahead, but first... Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Airborne Vitamin Tablets. As you might be able to tell, I'm dealing with a bit of a cold, and whenever I have one, one of my strategies for fighting it is putting Airborne brand vitamin supplements In grapefruit juice. It's basically a big vitamin C cocktail. Does it make medical sense? I don't really know. But it seems to work for me. So the next time you have a nasty cold, try airborne vitamin tablets in grapefruit juice. It tastes good too. Now let's get to football where it's time to ask Lap. Lap, I don't know if you are familiar with this, but there was recently a twenty-eighth amendment added to the Constitution, <laughs> which dictates all Bengal's podcasts. Must begin with a discussion of Joe Burrow. <laughs> Here's what I want to start with today. Joe Burrow's recent comments to the Fort Worth Star Telegram when he was there to accept the Davy O'Brien Award, which included a Rolex watch, by the way. That was nice. nice. When asked about being drafted by Cincinnati, here's what Joe Burrow had to say. Quote, I am blessed to be in the position I'm in. If they select me, they select me. I'm going to do everything in my power to be the best football player that I can be. That all sounds good. But he also said, I'm not exactly sure what the question was. I do have leverage. They have their process and I have my process. So what did you make of those comments? <laughs>
1: they were uh, <clears throat> they were kind of north and south pole a little bit um you know I, the first comment obviously i was impressed by you know um he's a competitor in talking with his teammates that were down at the senior bowl particularly the offensive lineman from lsu that's all they said was you know cold-blooded competitor um but in all the right ways you know no uh nothing negative all positive in how he led and uh and, and how he set goals and achieved his goals and everything that went along with it, and so I'm thinking, well, here's a guy that um, with all the people saying, you know, oh Jesus, Cincinnati Bengals two and fourteen a joke, you know, why would you who who would want to play for that football team? He made it sound like he wanted to be part of the solution and turnaround, and you know, a, a guy part of it, it would be the next chapter of the Joe Burrow made for TV movie <laughs> in that you know comes out of nowhere because I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at all these publications before the 2019 season started. Joe Burrow's not even talked about. I mean, he's not even discussed. Day two pick. Yeah, day two pick, and his, LSU's not even in picked to be in the uh, in the playoffs. You know, I mean, they're not, the, LSU's not talked about. Joe Burrow's not talked about. Um, you know, it's it, Joe Brady's not talked about, and it, it is a storybook deal what they did. You know how, and, they, and they've all benefited. Joe Brady is now an offensive coordinator. Carolina Panthers. Uh, Joe Burrow is about to be the first pick of the NFL draft, and it would be the next chapter of of that story. I think. Why not take a guy? You know the the the, the come from nowhere Heisman Trophy winner who had the most prolific quarterback season in the history of college football on all levels. Every way you measure it, it was un unbelievable. Never had even come close to having a season like Joe Burrow had. So why not the next step, go to the National Football League, take a two-win team to nine or ten wins and make them playoff competitive and be part of the solution? I like that. I like that uh, that part of it. Um, you know, he has his, his leverage. What is that? I, I don't know. I really can't figure it. The leverage is you don't play for a year. And I don't see the Burrow family, the father, mother, Two brothers that played at Nebraska. One played safety. One played linebacker. Football family to to the nth degree. I don't see that a guy who came from that environment with a mindset to sit out a year. He's also going to be 24 this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, the clock's ticking. You know, um, I, I just I, I I guess that's what he's talking about. I don't know. He may he may have been in a in an off. Uh, in, in a very, very far stretch way, talking about, well, Eli Manning, he dictated where, you know, he, he went. John Elway dictated what happened with him in terms of the draft. Um, you know, th- yeah, that did happen. John Elway had baseball as leverage. Correct, and went and played minor league baseball in the Yankees, Yankees organization. Yeah, right. He was in the Yankees organization and a good prospect, you know, could have maybe played, maybe made the major leagues uh, as a baseball player. Joe Burrow was an All-State uh, basketball player. I mean, what is he NBA bound? Doubt it. You know, so I mean, I, I don't understand. You know, the, the, that leverage part of it that he that he's talking about, other than you know just uh, just maybe letting in, in a way letting other teams know, look, go ahead and trade for me. You know, if you're thinking about making an offer, go ahead and make an offer to the Bengals because. You know, uh, I'm trying to establish as much leverage as I possibly can, instead of coming out and saying, you know, I want to be a Cincinnati Bengal. I look forward to being a Cincinnati Bengal. That's what everybody in in Bengleton wants to hear. He's not going to say that, you know, um, because, you know, what what if he's traded? You know, now all of a sudden, well, I really did want to be a Bengal, but now I'm glad to be a whatever. I mean, you can you can rationalize it that way. Uh, I know all Bengal fans would love to see him say, look, no matter, I'm fine. I'm, I'm I want to be a Cincinnati Bengal. They've had uh, a great quarterback history and tradition there. I want to add my name to that list of great quarterbacks with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's exactly what Bengals would like to hear, but they're not going to hear it. Well, maybe they could hear it at the Combine. (laughs) He's scheduled
0: to do a news conference on Tuesday, I believe. But let's talk about the scouting Combine, which gets underway this weekend and runs all of next week with the drills in primetime for the first time. So if you want to watch guys in primetime running the 40 and doing the bench press, you're going to have your chance this week. But this will also be the Bengals' opportunity to sit down face-to-face with 45 players for 18 minutes apiece, and I've got to assume that Joe Burrow's on that list. It'll be the first opportunity to do that with him. Normally the player is trying to impress the team. Do the Bengals need to impress Joe Burrow with their vision for his future.
1: I think so. I I think it would be it would I, if I were Joe Burrow, the first question when they say, you know, they're fire questions at Joe Burrow and then probably at the end if there's time, they say do you have any questions for us? My question would be if I'm Joe Burrow, what's your plan? You know, how do you uh how do you foresee what what changes will be made in terms of personnel, philosophy, whatever the case may be? to turn around a two a two win team. I'm not the if you think drafting Joe Burrow solves all your problems, I'm here to tell you they probably don't. What else are we talking about? That's what I would ask. You know, I I would put on my humble hat. You know, I have confidence in my ability, but me single handedly is not going to take a team from two wins to ten wins. What else are we talking about? And and I do think, you know, they, they should have some sort of an idea or some sort of a plan to present him because he's going to sell them very quickly on his personality. I mean, I, th- I think they already know enough. Um, so I, I think, it, I, th- I think that interview session is going to be a lot different than just about all the others. I think all the others are going to be more fact-finding. He, he is so overexposed at this point. I mean, everybody knows everything about Joe Burrow's life, <laughs> his football life, his private life, every aspect of the Joe Burrow story. Um, so, I, yeah, I would, I would, I would get to the next level of, um, you know, drilling down as quickly as I could with Joe, and and I would, I would see, um, you know, with, with his football acumen, you you really you and Joe Brady connected. What was it? What, what were the things that made your season so successful? Put it up on the grease board here things you know concepts that you guys uh, implemented things that you were looking for at all times uh, tell us what the Joe burrow season was like you know as you were preparing for an opponent and, and maybe taking through certain things in games and all that sort of thing just to confirm his football IQ which everybody says is you know summa cum laude. Mm-hmm. so he's, he's a football menza and he processes quickly so I, th- I think they'll get through that pretty quickly too but I do think I do think the future plan, is big on you know for both parties
0: i did a rant on last week's podcast first talking about how joe burrow had never said specifically that he didn't want to play for the Bengals, but then the second part of my rant had to do with this notion that he shouldn't want to come to cincinnati and i want to follow up on that because it continues to bother me if those stories had been done in the late 1990s they would have been harder to refute Mm -hmm. during the so-called lost decade But you can't go to the playoffs six times in a seven-year period by sheer luck. Can't be done in the NFL. I think Marvin Lewis deserves a lot of the credit for helping the Bengals modernize their organization. I think Duke Tobin has largely done an excellent job as a GM without having the title of GM. Why is it that 2009 to 2015 doesn't seem to exist for so many of these national football commentators.
1: Yeah, they, they look at it as you know as um, the anomaly, the blip. You know the it it, it just it's a unicorn. It doesn't belong. You know and and I and I can see that for a year, but when you're to the point where you're you know perpetually at five straight, um, you know six out of seven, that kind of thing now becomes you know very significant. And, of course, everybody is is and should give Marvin Lewis a lot of credit. I mean, he was there for 16 years and made seven playoffs, almost half of his coaching career. He was in the playoffs for the Cincinnati Bengals. That's, that's a record. I mean, five playoff appearances in a row is a record. Um, but, you know, people don't even talk about that. What they talk about is the last playoff win, January 1991. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's such a long drought. As every organization will tell you, it is hard to make the playoffs. Hard. And, you know, equally, or even more so, to win a playoff game, and that can be attested to, obviously, by this franchise, but to make the playoffs five years in a row, only a handful of teams, you know, organizations have done that. It's it's not like half the franchises in the National Football League. I think it's maybe, you know, maybe a little more than a handful, like six, I think, have maybe done it, gone to the playoffs five straight seasons uh, at any time. So, um, it's it's not it's not something to take lightly, but I think you know the the easy um, comment on that is everybody's saying that was Marvin Lewis. Marvin Lewis is now at Arizona State. Marvin Lewis isn't part of the Bengals organization anymore, so um, it's almost like you know Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, is it is it Tom Brady is it Bill Belichick? You know, is it the Cincinnati Bengals or is it Marvin Lewis? You know, you take Marvin Lewis out of the picture, what else is is? Uh, where's where's the light uh, in in the Bengals organization that's going to lead them out of the darkness currently with a two and fourteen record? You know, so that's what that's what you know I hear from a lot of people. Um, but we'll see. You know, and Marvin did do a great job of bringing you know the exposure that he had with the Baltimore and Pittsburgh and those organizations. He did bring you know a lot of that. Outside uh, ideas and ways of doing things to the Cincinnati Bengals. Zach Taylor has had exposure multiple places himself, you know, Miami, LA, the college scene. You know, I, it's he he has he has I'm sure some ideas as well. So we'll see how his are implemented.
0: I'm not the only person annoyed by this uh, thought process that the Bengals are completely incompetent. The current players are getting ticked off about it now as well. Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, and Auden Tate, among others, tweeting about it this week. Do you think that the proving people wrong thing is going to become a motivator for this year's team?
1: Players always look, athletes always look for the chip to put on their shoulder. And this one is not a chip. It's the old two-by-four. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, guys. One one thing that uh, guys have that uh, ascend to this level of uh, professionalism uh, in terms of sports or anything, really, any any um, you know job that you try to you seek to try to uh, improve yourself on and be the best you can be is pride. You know, these guys have big time personal pride, and they feel like they're being personally attacked even even if it's just it's when they see Cincinnati Bengals they see themselves i mean that it's it's yin and i mean they're just totally tied together so they feel like they're being attacked by people not just organizationally or coaching staff or it's like me i'm being attacked and my teammates are being attacked so i'm going to come to the, i'm going to come to my defense i'm going to come to my teammates defense and the best way to do that is to uh is to shut the best way to shut people up is to win football games to play better. So I do think there's there's a big chip there. And I do think, guys, will, it, that will be part of their motivation. There's there's no doubt about it. They, they have plenty of material for a bulletin board. In fact, they could fill a bulletin board. There'd be a city block big. <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff out there, man.
0: All right. Let's get to the big breaking news in the NFL. We interrupt the Joe Burrow portion of the show to get to this. The owners have approved a new collective bargaining agreement. Now it goes to the 32-player reps. They have to approve it by a two-thirds majority. And if that happens, then it goes to the roughly 2,000 players as a whole. They vote, and then it would just have to pass by a simple majority. And that would mean 10 years of labor peace. Some of the things that are in there. It calls for the possibility of a 17-game regular season. That would apparently kick in as soon as 2022. It calls for an expanded playoff field. One more playoff team from each conference. That could actually go into effect this year if this gets approved quickly. Uh, There's some other stuff in there that benefits the players, like uh, a bigger share of the total revenue pie. If there's a 17-game schedule, they could make – five more billion dollars over the next 10 years if this thing gets approved here's my question for you if you are an active player right now based on what you've read and, and heard would you vote yes or no
1: I would vote yes because I think I think a lot of the things that they're addressing in there the, the big money players are gonna say no JJ Watts already come out absolute no he's got hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank this is all they have to do is have 51% of the of the rank and file of the players vote yes. Five percent of the players get humongous money. They're talking about on that 17th game uh, capping it at a quarter million bucks for that game. You know, well, there'll be five percent of the players that have a real problem with that because they make a lot more than that, which is incredible. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars per game. Oh my God! But uh, I. Th- th- a big number of people, uh, the, the, over 50% would be like, yeah, I'd do that 17th game and, and get, that, uh, g- get that extra money. I mean, my career, is is it going to be, will I even get vested? Will, it, will I be around long enough to be vested? I mean, the number of people that are fortunate enough to play, you know, 10 years or more in the National Football League is not a huge number. It's 2,000 players to begin with. And the, and the players that are making this humongous money is five percent of those two thousand players. It's it's not, you know, we're, you know, you're talking seventy guys maybe, you know, or, or you know, not even that, sixty some odd guys. So it's not. I think I think it'd be the the tail wagging the dog if those sixty five people determine the fates of all those others, you know. So I think it's going to pass, and I think it it probably should, and because there's a lot of things. I mean, they're talking about with the seventeenth game. They're talking about uh, bringing more people off IR more, more readily. They're talking about activating an extra lineman, offensive lineman on game day. Uh, so, so 17 is like, okay, well, we don't want teams limping and gimping to the playoffs. We still want it to be good football. So they're saying that the practice is, is going to be lighter. You know, workload is going to be a, a big factor uh, with, this, with the 17th game. Um, and I think, I think it will quickly go to 18 because 17, that odd number, Where's that game gonna be played? Every other every other season you'd have an extra home game than other teams. I think it's gonna be a neutral site where they're trying to, you know, generate some interest as the next NFL franchises, have teams go there and play, wherever they may be around the country. And then uh, world. international, mm-hmm. yeah. Go to Mexico. You're even talking Brazil, you know. London. See, I
0: think that's a great idea. Rather than having a team in London, mm-hmm. use that 17th game to play a bunch of games over there and then a, a handful of others in you know, Germany, Mexico, Canada,
1: There's whatever. You know, they're talking. Sure. You know. So, yeah, I mean, um, and make it more of an international international scope. And, and why would you do that? Dollars. I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line. It, it's it's all about the dollars and and really uh, it's it's a brilliant move to try to get this collective bargaining agreement done because the next network uh, contract is 2021. So if they have this in place, we have more revenue for you. More you know, um, it, not more. We have more inventory for you. That means more revenue for us. Um, you know, the extra playoff game could it be a Monday Night Football game? That would make the Monday Night Football package much more lucrative. You know, and and the extra playoff game—that's just that's just two teams. You know that, that if if they do that, the extra playoff game I think is going to be a no-brainer. I think that's that, Now the seventeenth game, there may be a little bit more, a little bit more push and pull on that because you know you're talking about player safety and how are we going to address that, and that's the biggest thing supposedly for CTE concussion protocol, blah blah. blah. So that that that's going to that's going to get a little bit of a pushback, and I and I do see them going from 17 fairly quickly to 18. And they're they're asking permission to go to 17 and asking permission to go to 18. So, like you say, probably it won't happen in the 2022, maybe not even the 2020 or 2021 season, maybe 2022. For the, for the 17th maybe. game. And, that, and real quickly, it may be, they may say, okay, we'll do the 17th game in 2022 and the 18th game, would be in 2023 if they have all that time, maybe to to get ready for. It. I could I could see them. Odd number is weird to me. That odd number. I think it. I think it's a scheduling nightmare. My guess,
0: though, on that, and I could be wrong, is that, you know, they'll go to 17 for a
1: while. You think?
0: I, I just have a hard time because that's going to be the sticking point because of health concerns. Will you accept another game of punishment to your body? I just think it would maybe even the entire 10 year term before they can then try to sell them on 18
1: really see I, I was thinking the other way i was thinking that if they get 17 in because ultimately i think they'd like to go 18 and two i mean i think that's the as in pre-season, pre-season. For two. right yeah 18 and two and then everybody will have more uh, combined workouts two organizations getting together at training camp and getting more workload done you know heavier workload done that way i could see that happening um and, and it would be controlled, obviously. It wouldn't be as tough on bodies as even preseason games, which are very limited in terms of participation by players. But the preseason games, as we know, they become a joke. I mean, there are teams uh, in the NFL that don't play their starters at all in the entire preseason, not just the fourth pre-se- uh, third preseason game. Um, I mean, play players just the third preseason game, those starters for over half, they're not doing it at all. They're not even having guys out there getting any, any work in the preseason. So it's become kind of a farce. So I could see them trying to go, you know, to 18-2 and two at some point in time or, or at least having a, 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 a phraseology in the collective bargaining agreement that at any time during that 10-year time frame, we can bring the 18th game, you know, to the table for discussion instead of, you know, lock it, having that off the, off the mm-hmm. table as such for a decade.
0: So the new league year begins on March 18th, so it sounds like they're trying to get this thing done by then so that some of this stuff can go into effect right now. And if you're trying to get the players to vote yes, that's a big carrot to dangle. The, the salary cap will go up, could help current free agents. The minimum salary is going to go up by 100000 bucks. I mean, if you, if you want the rank and file to approve this thing by one vote as a majority— Things like that are going to get that lower tier that you were talking about to say yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, if 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 sixty six percent, two thirds of the, the uh, um, of the re- player reps pass it, I think they're going to get fifty one percent of the players very easily. I really do. Um, so I, I think the player rep, the conference calls that are going to be going on today are, are going to be very interesting. Um, you know, and, they, and they're going to they're going to have calls too to all of their teammates. I mean, the telephone company is going to be busy today. There's going to be some lines that are going to be having some, <laughs> having some issues. But uh, it, it, because – and I can see, honestly, um, guys at their homes with their player up, speaker phone, and the wife's right there. Are you kidding me? We're taking <laughs> that. Are you kidding me? My husband, he might not make the team. Oh, Honestly, it, it's like you have to – as a, as a player rep, you have to sell uh, the benefits of everybody's situation is different. And you have to kind of mollify everything for each case, you know. Of, and, I, and I'm not going to tell you to play a 17th game. I, what right do I have to do that? But here's reasons why. Here's reasons not to. You decide. And I'm telling you, pressure, married married players cross the picket line faster than the guys that are single. There's no doubt about that. When you have veteran players crossing the picket line, every one of them has a wife and kids, every single one of them.
0: (laughs) All right, uh, before we get to this week's Ask Lap questions from people on Twitter and Facebook, I want to cover one more topic, and this has to do with a great Q&A that Paul Daner Jr. did on The Athletic with Zach Taylor. And there was one thing in there that made me think that Zach Taylor might be listening to our podcast, (laughs) because you said quite a while ago, that training camp was not physical enough this year. In an effort to avoid injuries, there just wasn't enough contact. So here's what Zach Taylor said to Paul Daner this week. Quote, the bottom line is we have to have the mentality that we are going to be more physical. That starts in training camp the first day you put the pads on. It is almost word for word for what you were saying.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a factor. And, and, And in this collective bargaining agreement that we're talking about, it, they specifically address minimizing, diminishing the amount of contact, you know, at training camp. So, but what you can do, I would do, you know, heartily. <laughs> I would do with full effort. Um, I, I think that there's there's no substitute for it. I just it, it, it's it's hard to ramp it up, and, and particularly if you're going to start cutting down preseason games, it's hard to ramp it up. And it, it, I think. Maybe doing something with uh, other teams like I talked about before, you know, where you bring people together and you have one-on-ones. A- after a while, you at training camp, like, I knew Eddie Edwards every move, you know, and it was like, I'm not saying it was easy to pass protect Eddie Edwards, but it was much easier week three than it was week one when it was like, oh, man, what's he going to be doing, you know, and everybody has – uh, moves that they do better than others and favorite moves and and, and just getting a um, an exposure to different stuff because you can you can you can fall into a little bit of a trap you can lull yourself into hey I'm ready to go and all of a sudden you go against a dude that's got some stuff like man I haven't seen that before how do I adjust what do I do to combat that what's my counter to that move man that that's a pretty good move so I, I, there's no there's no basically replacement for repetition against it you know you just can't you can't like you know, mentally, mental telepathy, put it in your head. It just doesn't happen. You have to go out and do it and rep it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, and and I, th- I don't think Jim Turner will have any, any problem, or, or Coach Eason <laughs> on the defensive line. I don't think there'll be, uh, there'll be any problem with, you know, picking up the tempo, uh, you know, with the up-front guys.
0: All right, time to hear from Bengaldom via the hashtag AskLap. Got some great questions from the audience a couple of weeks ago. The last time we did that, so here we go. We got a bunch of them today from Dale. The Bengals don't typically cut players, but after going two and fourteen, do you think they will change that philosophy and, in turn, also be more aggressive in free agency?
1: They very well could. You know, there's there's some people you know that are 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 potentially uh, being considered to be let go. There always are. You know, every year, and I could see that happening this year. Know, Cordy Glenn, uh, in my mind, it has to be the, the number one uh, number one candidate for that. Uh, and It would free up uh, free up additional dollars. There's there's other guys, you know, on the roster. We could probably go through a litany of guys. So you do you have to, uh, you know, you have to consider that uh, opening up more dollars that would allow you to go ahead and, and um, attack free agency with more gusto and maybe in, in bigger numbers. In, in free agency, not necessarily creating dollars to sign this one free agent for mega mega dollars that's a 50/50 proposition, but um, you know in turn like for example, if I could move Cordy Glenn's salary and have money where I could go sign two veteran linebackers in free agency, heartbeat done. Where do I where, where do I sign to get that thing accomplished? I'd do that yesterday. So I think those kind of things are probably on the table.
0: Dre Kirkpatrick's name comes up quite a bit as a potential cap casualty. What do you
1: think? Yeah, that one's that one's interesting, you know I mean it's um, uh, is it to the point where and when I, if, if my name were ever th- brought up as a cap casualty, the first thing I would do if I really liked the organization, want to stay, I'd have my representation I would have back in the day would have gone into the club and said, you know, let's let's rediscuss what 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 kind of value do you think i have and if it doesn't fit with what you think you present go ahead and let them do it but if there's if, if you're real with yourself you know and and, and they are real with them with what they're thinking um you can you can redo a deal the guys have done that and and i think it's intelligent to do that honestly so um i think i think camp or cap casualty sounds so severe there could be a lot of massaging though you know massaging with players and um and and just see where see where it all all shakes out see what happens
0: all right i'm combining the next two from chris and steve o chris if the rams don't re-sign andrew whitworth what are the chances that the bengals would offer and that he would be interested and then from steve o what about whitworth at right tackle and moving bobby hart to right guard
1: well, I you know, I'm not sure you know, then 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 it's like what do you do with a guy like Fred Taylor, you know, who who basically has shown I thought Fred Taylor, Fred Johnson. Excuse yeah. me. Fred Johnson, I should say. That's Fred Taylor, great running back <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars. Fred Johnson who made himself some money last year. I thought, you know, I thought he performed pretty well, very athletic guy. Um former basketball player, you know, just kind of scratching the surface of what his you know abilities are um, so th- th- I'm not sure I'm not sure at, at this stage of the career they, they made a, they made a determination that Andrew Whitworth um, was was at the end of his career a few years ago to bring him back now if the team that he, he did <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> that he did sign with no longer has interest I'm not sure they bring him back you know at, at that point um it's like, you know, when Max Montoya was done, they didn't bring Max Montoya back, they made an error and you make mistakes. you know, sometimes you don't guess right. You don't project it right. everybody does. Uh, it happens. And Max went on to great years with the Raiders and you know they didn't bring him back to Cincinnati when he was done with the great years with the Raiders. I, I can see the same same kind of scenario in this one. Um, and I think that they're they're uh, they' re- they're building their offensive line with, with people that aren't, you know, uh, aren't on putting out on number eighteen on their career, you know, they're trying to build their offensive line differently than that.
0: From Jordan, what compensation would you predict for potential trades for Andy Dalton and or Cordy Glenn?
1: Boy, I know Andy Dalton. I mean, when you look at um, you look at what the the uh, Ravens got for Flacco, I think it was a fifth round pick from the Denver Broncos. I think that was a four. Was it a four? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that case, you know, here here's the guy that was Super Bowl MVP. You know, had you know, got the big contract, but he goes 11 touchdowns, no interceptions in the playoffs, and and his team wins the Super Bowl. So again, people are saying you know second round pick, and to me, with the glut of free agent quarterbacks, that you don't have to pay, you don't have to give anything for. I mean, this, this is not a good year honestly for to try to trade a, a quarterback like like Andy now is he more valuable to franchises than some of these quarterbacks that are on the very end of their career i I think Andy's got obviously quite a few years left but still when you have guys like that in the marketplace it changes the value so i'd i'd take a four i'd take a four for Andy Dalton i'd take a i don't know i don't know what I'd take. For Cordy Glenn. Lunch? Yeah. <laughs> uh, bag of cleats. I, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, at, at this point with Cordy, if they if they can trade Cordy Glenn, God bless him. And I'm, I'm, I don't know what kind of value he has. You know, I, I, league-wide, I'm not sure what they can get for Cordy Glenn. But if somebody throws something out there, I would pounce on that, whatever it is. From a Twitter follower
0: who goes by, overly optimistic Bengals fan. Do you envision the Bengals using more heavy personnel in dynamic ways?
1: You know, it's, they, they, they've got, uh, you know, we just talked about Fred Johnson and, and the athletic ability that he has. And he, he was the, he kind of advanced from the third tackle in packages to, hey, let's put him at left tackle at the end of the season and see if he can play. I can see it. I, I can see them, you know, u- utilizing more of that heavy heavy personnel. Um, you know, they, they've they've got some athletic uh, offensive linemen. I'm mean, Prince is another guy from Ohio State that they're, you know, they're going to try to develop a little bit that they picked up, uh, you know, uh, off of waivers so during the course of the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that with Isaiah Prince and with Fred Johnson, you've got two guys that. It's almost like you had your draft early, you know, and you, and you, you picked up guys that, that have shown they can play in the National Football League. So it's not like, eh, man, you know, can they or can't they? Now, I think Fred has shown more than Isaiah has, obviously, at this point. But Isaiah is, I think, somebody that you can work with. Um, so, it's gonna, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I could see him doing that. I could see them going heavy personnel creatively, um, <laughs> seeing Fred – Maybe even being a threat catching the football with went out ball. for one pass. Yeah, and uh, they jumped him. I mean, <laughs> they they covered the big boy. They blanketed him. So, <clears throat> you know, obviously, um, he, he's not a, he's not a secret. He's not a surprise that that he played basketball and he's athletic and all that. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting that what kind of packages they can they can do there. And I and I, you know, Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, all the running back. I'm sure they'd love it. You know, to to run behind. Uh, extra big-body mass-type guys like that.
0: From Mark, will the next generation of the Brown family run the franchise differently, and do you have any feel for what they'll do as the stadium lease expires in 2026?
1: Uh, I think the next generation has been largely running the Bengals organization for a while. You know, Mike Brown is 84 years old. I think the day-to-day operation and and, um, decision-making – is is already uh, in the in the lap of uh, Katie and Troy Blackburn. Um, now Mike is heavily involved in terms of they they don't do anything without informing him. I'm not saying that he's he's involved in the process, but he's not spearheading the process like he once did. He has handed off a lot of those duties and responsibilities already to Katie and Troy. So um, you know they've been doing it for a while. You know as well. It's not like it just happened. You know, last week it's been a number of years, a good number of years now, and uh, and I think it's probably increasing. You know, on a on a year by year basis, which is more than understandable. As far as the the lease, the stadium lease, man, that that uh, that one that one kind of scares me a little bit uh, because as as the league continues to be extremely popular, some city is going to throw some crazy deal out there that you wonder how can you turn it down so that that's that's my big concern is as this juggernaut continues to grow 14 billion 15 billion dollar annual revenue industry of the national football league by 2026 it may be closer to 20 billion or more some city's going to say i want a piece of that i want to i want to get it on in that action and um you know, what, what, what? how will Cincinnati battle that or counter that or what kind of offers will be made? That, that is a little bit of concern of mine for sure.
0: All right, another combined question from Paul and Christian. Paul asked, what would the Bengals accept to trade out of the number one overall pick? And then Christian asked, did the Achilles-Smith offer back in the 99 draft have any effect on accepting or rejecting offers In relation to dealing the number one overall. And I guess we should go back and discuss the 99 offer from the Saints. They wanted Ricky Williams. The Bengals had the number three overall pick. The uh, Saints offered all of their 99 picks, rounds one through seven. They had the 12th overall pick that year, plus their number one in 2000, plus their number one in 2001, plus their number two in 2002. So that was three number ones, two number twos, and a three, four, five, six, seven. All in exchange for the number three pick in the draft, which the Bengals turned down and took Akili Smith. The Redskins took a slightly watered down version of the Saints' offer at number five overall. But in any case, getting back to the question, what would the Bengals accept in order to, to trade the number one overall pick this year? And did what ultimately turned out to be a bad decision affect them going forward?
1: <laughs> you would think so. I couldn't believe they didn't pull the trigger on that trade. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the organization couldn't believe that they didn't pull the trigger on the trade. Um, And obviously hindsight is it should have pulled the trigger on the trade. And if the Miami Dolphins are willing to give up their whole draft, which includes three number ones (laughs) uh, and and every other pick, I mean, how do you you not take that? That's that's remarkable to me. But um, I I guess – Part of the feeling that that you have to deal with at that point is if they're willing to give up all that, why am I trading that pick? Now, the Bengals didn't have interest in Ricky Williams. That, Mike Dick was like, this is what I want. This is what I need. This this is this is the final component I'm missing. This is the piece. I don't care about all the other stuff. I, my, I'm good. With him, it elevates us to whatever level. Um, if, if the Dolphins do offer the mother load of three first-round picks – Part of you has to say, you know, what do they see in Joe Burrow that we don't necessarily? And if if they were to do that, now I don't see them doing it because I think they're going to draft Tua, and I think they're going to have a, they feel like they're going to have a guy who may be the best quarterback in this draft if, if he heals. But how how do the Bengals, how do the Bengals draft Tua, thinking that he may have to miss his rookie year? How many number one picks have they had that have missed their whole? Rookie year. The last four. No. Oh. But you look You look at Tua being so beaten up and having so many injuries. The greatest player in Bengals history who's in the Hall of Fame didn't play much at USC. He It was like he's not available. He's a great player, but, hell, he, I mean, so many teams took him off the board. You know, I told the story about Parcells with the Giants. They would not put him on the board, and he was infuriated. And they just, I mean, Anthony was off of more boards than he was on. And the Bengals make the pick, turns into, you know, Mr. Durable. I mean, totally available. So his run of bad luck happened in college. Billy Price, you know, all these guys that we're talking about uh, that the Bengals have had first. One starts 48 straight games. One starts 50 straight games in college and can't get to training camp in their rookie year. So it's weird. You know, maybe, maybe you don't draft the healthy ones through college because they're going to get hurt in the NFL. Maybe the ones that have gone through the injury deal, you know, maybe the football gods say, yeah, you paid your price. You're going to have a great NFL career.
0: That Who didn't knows? work out so well with John Ross, though.
1: No, John Ross, Kijana Carter. I mean, very first preseason, you know, in the, his first preseason up there in Detroit. You know, you look at the first pick of the draft, um, you know, Kijana Carter with an with, you know, injury like that. devastating and that and that's the thing that muddies this whole deal is is you know the injury nobody's an injury soothsayer you know and it's like you can't put your you can't put your hat on and prognosticate injuries when they're going to occur as we said you know many times you're 100% at injury risk 100% of every play 100% of all players on the field that's just the nature of the beast.
0: From JT, who will the Bengals select at number thirty-three? That's the first pick in the second round, or will they trade
1: up or down? Well, I think that they will take the best defensive player that's on the board. I really believe that. After after taking Joe Burrow, I think they they feel like, you know that that that's obviously going to upgrade them offensively in their minds at that point in time, and then they they probably at the next pick go go for the best defensive player, and and they do have. I mean it could be at any any of the three levels their their defense could could take an infusion so I think whoever that is you know whoever slides to that 33rd pick now the question is about the trade and we've talked about this you know the 33rd pick the 65th pick that every round when they have the first pick of that round they're going to get phone calls cuz people are going to redo, redo their boards quickly And some you know after day 1 First round, everybody does their boards. First pick of the second round, that's the Bengals. Second and third round, even the third round, shuffle your board quickly and you're going to have to do it in a hurry. You're going to have to, you know, ha- have it almost done. The last two or three picks, does it affect it or not? And, okay, boy, that guy slid out of the second. He's there at the very top of the third first pick. Bengals get calls. Then after the third round, another whole night. And that next morning to reshuffle your board before the draft hits again and and, boy, there you are at the first pick of the fourth round. So they're going to have a lot of phone calls, a lot of draft conversation activity with every pick. So I could see them. Um, I could see them really almost maybe with the 33rd pick. I could see them probably trading down more so than giving up a high pick every round to move up into the bottom end of the first round. I could see them getting capital with that 33rd pick. And then – you know, moving around up or down later, but I'm not sure that 33rd pick with the you know the, the uh, what the 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 50 54th or whatever it is the 65th, the next pick in the third round, taking those two to move up, or or mortgaging next year's you know we'll do this 33rd pick and the fourth round pick of you know 2021. I don't I don't see them doing that as much as maybe trading back.
0: I'll make the call right now. They are trading down in the second round.
1: I think you could. I just
0: up. see, you know, the, the first round comes to an end. There's a lot of great talent left, and the Bengals think, you know what, we want more picks. We've only got one in every round right now. This is our chance. Who knows, maybe add another second rounder. Certainly you could probably get a, an extra third rounder mm-hmm. if you trade down a little bit in the second round. I think that's going to happen. I really do.
1: And if we're saying, okay, take the best defensive player available with the 33rd pick. If there's you're looking at your board and there was a run on the offensive side of the football and there's a bunch of defensive players left that you'd be happy with at 33, trade back and get multiples. Mm-hmm. You know, hit every posi- hit two of the three position levels. You know, with with picks, and and or if a wide receiver is like, I can't believe that dude's still there. You know, um, maybe you can pick him up. You know, if you don't trade back too far. So it, who who knows? But but I I agree. I think in the early stages of the draft, uh, they'll be trading back, first and second round. If there's any trades, well, obviously you can't trade up any higher than number one. But you'll be trading back in the first, trading back in the second, and then after that, potentially potentially moving up. But I could, I could even see uh, trading back in the third round. Trading back in the second, getting additional picks. Trading back with your first pick of the third round, if you've got an additional third, moving back and getting another third and a fourth. I could see them playing that game pretty much uh you know the the domino effect all the way down every round of the draft.
0: Next question from John. Will the Bengals pick up John Ross's fifth year option? If not, will they select a wide receiver in the first three
1: rounds? I don't see them picking up, you know, John Ross's option uh, unless he has a Pro Bowl year.
0: Wait, they have to make the decision by March or by May 5th.
1: No. <laughs> Let's say I, I I don't see how they can project to pay him $15 million on this year's salary cap. There's no way. I, I just don't see it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that if there were a receiver, this is such a receiver um, plentiful draft, they're going to take a receiver. It's just a question of how high. It's just a question of how high. And, um, you know. I, I don't I don't see them picking up John Ross's uh his his option. I I, I just now if he has an unbelievable uh you know last you know season um, you know maybe at, at that point good for John he's got leverage but how much more how much more would they pay him than 15 million dollars for the for the first year of the following contract anyway. They'd pay him less. Yeah. I mean it's like You'd you'd have a, a bonus, you know, if you if, if you si- get a second bite of the apple, there's a bonus and all that, and it's all prorated. But the actual contract, um, maybe he he might get, depending on the bonus, he might get close, but you're not going to be paying him the t- average of the top five salaries of his position the first year of a contract extension if he does have a great year. So I I just there's no way they're going to pick up that 15 mil. There's no way.
0: Here's a quick reminder that he was taking one pick before Patrick Mahomes. But we move on. Uh, To Tyler, what are your thoughts on linebacker Akeem Davis Gaither, a player that you saw in person at the Senior Bowl?
1: Yeah, I I was very impressed with him. He can flat out pick him up and put him down. The dude can run. You know, not not a big linebacker, 6'2", 215. You know, you think, okay, you know, could he even play? uh, Does he have the coverage abilities of like a big safety? Yeah, he does. He can run and um everything that i gathered watching him on the field um he has a, a good he had a good rapport with his teammates seemed like he was not one of these uh you know guys that was difficult to to deal with in terms of other players him thinking he was too cool for school none of that um my understanding is that he was very good in the classroom so i on a lot of levels i like him and um I, 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 would think Darren Simmons would like him as well. A guy like that would would upgrade, you know, his special teams obviously as well. So I, I think he's got value. I think he's got significant value. He was, he was one of the guys that uh, you know I I thought of the handful of linebackers for North and South in the Senior Bowl. He was somebody that jumped out at me a little bit for sure.
0: All right, we'll do a couple more hashtag Ask Lap questions from Steven. The Bengals switched blocking schemes about midway through the season, which helped the running game. Should they stick with those changes, or should they go back to the initial scheme and find players
1: that fit uh, I think that if if the guys that uh, finish the season are pretty much the guys that are starting this one, I think you stay with the continuity of that what that worked you know to me it's the last thing you want to do is if uh if you and, and it and it, it definitely it definitely fits. Um, you're not going to have a guy that you're going to throw in there that is going to be a big athletic stiff. You know, I mean, everybody that they've they've got in camp right now has the athleticism to do the things that we're talking about, uh, the gap scheme where you know you block down, you pull linemen are in space instead of just inside zone and outside zone where you're just trying to maul and mash people. So um, I think with the personnel. That, the reason they made the change was adapting their scheme to fit their personnel. So if their personnel doesn't tr- change drastically, why would you change away from anything that had worked so well? The last five games of the year, second half of the season, there were six in the NFL in rushing the last eight games of the year. The last five, I think, it was even better than that. So I'd, I'd, I'd stay with what was working, that's for sure, and then just keep building on it you know, and, and go from there.
0: All right, final Ask lap question. This is from Jared. Will the Bengals have new uniforms this year? And I will twist that slightly and, say, and ask, should they have new uniforms? Because Chris Sims keeps making this thing that just to change the mojo, got to change the helmet. It's time to try, try something different to tra- change the mojo.
1: Well, I know the last time the change was made, we went to the Super Bowl. Uh, that was the 81 season. They made the big change and put stripes on the helmet. And um, you know, <laughs> I remember the initial reaction by everybody, including players on the team. Oh my gosh, man, we look like we're literally at the zoo. I mean, this is like we better play well. These are a little bit dicey. I mean it was it, it was it was a big, big, bold move that Paul Brown made. But he always liked the Rams, you know, helmet uh, with that with that logo. So he wanted to go more in that direction and have something like there is no doubting that football team is. When you see that, you know exactly who it is. And and it it panned out, definitely panned out. Um, I don't know. I don't know how drastic a change uh, that would be talked about, but uh, maybe, you know, maybe something to just, uh, I I think, (laughs) I think any edge that you can try to find, whether it be psychological, physical, whatever it is, as long as the players believe it, the players are buying it, I'm good with it. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. I guess what, whatever. The only people that, that it matters, um, the final in the final, when when you melt it all down, boil it all down, are the guys wearing the uniforms and going out there and playing for the city of uh, Cincinnati and for their franchise.
0: Here's the uniform change I want to see. I want there to be a number nine with a burl on the back of
1: it. Yeah, I like that. I like that call. I do. I think, you know, the more I the more I see him and the more uh, varied environments I see him in. Uh, I, I like him more and more. You know, I think I think the one thing that he seems to be, um, I, 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 everybody has different personalities. Even even these people that are interviewing him, some of them are just looking for as much dirt and as much, and, and he handles it all very well. You know, he might give him just a little, but he doesn't go overboard. You know, I I think he's intelli- extremely intelligent, and I think uh, he's a he's a natural born leader of men. I think guys gravitate toward him. I, I don't. I have not heard one person after their first encounter with Joe Burrow say, "I don't know about that guy." I mean, he he sells you. He sells you fast.
0: Appreciate the time. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure, sir. Anytime. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Next week, Lap and I will head to Indianapolis for the scouting combine, where Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, and Duke Tobin are all scheduled to speak on Tuesday. We'll have some good material in next week's show, and if you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. Those five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find our podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.